don't talk too much. So talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. to the show today. This is Just Listening. I am Eric John. And before we get into it, of course, I've got to tell you about the best artisan soda in the entire world. That's Yacht Club Soda. Go to YachtClubSoda.com right now. Check out all the amazing flavors they have. They're, they've got some really crazy flavors. They've got blue raspberry. They've got uh, lemon lime. They've got grapefruit, pineapple, strawberry. Um, the list goes on and on. Please just go check out everything they have. Um, this this soda is incredible. It's delicious. It's healthier than any of that other soda you're gonna you're, you're gonna get at the uh, supermarket. Um, they use real cane sugar, no additives, no high fructose corn syrup. Uh, it, they come in glass bottles. Your fruit refrigerator will look absolutely beautiful with all the amazing colors that uh, that they've got over there at Yacht Club Soda. So go to yachtclubsoda.com right now. You can mix. You can match. Uh, order some today. John Scambato will send it right to your door. So go to yachtclubsoda.com and order some soda today. Also, uh, as I've been saying, I've got new pizza art uh, coming out uh, pretty much uh, every week. Uh, I just did an Andy Kaufman uh, portrait that I'm super proud of and super happy about. So please go to at Eric John Art or Eric John Pizza Art on Instagram, uh, Eric John Art on Twitter. Um, and check out all my latest stuff. Um, I'm on there, uh, you know, pretty much all the time, uh, you know, posting and, and uh, all my new work you can see there. And I've got new NFTs coming out. Um, National Pizza Day, uh, February 9th, 2024. I'll be minting and selling uh, only the best, only the best uh, in my Pizzafied uh, series. Of course, the Andy Kaufman will be one of those, uh, one of those pieces that you can purchase. Um, so, yeah. So look forward to that. Um, on today's show um this is this was this is such a treat so uh shane cashman uh was a, a journalist um long form uh type journalism the kind of stuff that you you know you'd read in rolling stone magazine or something like that maybe like 20 years ago when they used to be good um works for tim cast uh news which is a uh, tim pool's outfit um and really does some amazing work um he, he went to east palestine uh after the train derailment and did uh some work on that uh, he spent time with Alec Jones and uh, uh, Kanye West, um, all sorts of interesting people. Uh, and we both have a mutual love of comedy uh, and Andy Kaufman. So, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into all that stuff. So anyway, without I'm just rambling uh, without, without further ado, uh, Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, man, thank you for having me. Yeah, dude. Well, thanks for doing it. Um, I've really, I've really been enjoying your work for for quite a, a while now. Um, uh, I, you know, I love, I, I just, you know, I feel like long form journalism is just such a lost art, and um, you know, I, I the the brand and the form of investigative work you do and the profile work that you do, um. You know, it's it's like it's the kind of stuff I feel like I would have read in Rolling Stone like twenty years ago. You know what I mean? Like 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 really good stuff. Um, the kind of like I I really liken it to like anyone listening who you know might have read uh, Matt Taibbi back in the day. Like it's really that sort of stuff. Um, lots of detail, really in depth. Um, and also just the writing is is 
the writing itself is really creative and good and interesting. Like I loved the um, the intro to your Alex Jones uh, Alex Jones <laughs> article oh. about uh, it was such a creative way to and to start the that article. That was a fun one. And um, yeah, so okay, so let's let's start there. Um, well, yeah, let me let me say something real quick. So I mean, I read. Go ahead. I was just gonna say thank you for that. I appreciate it. And uh, you brought up Rolling Stone. And it just reminded me of me being, I would go to high school in this little high school in this little town. And I show up super early to school, which is ridiculous, but they had Rolling Stone magazines and it was the only place I could get a free magazine. So I'd just sit and read the profiles in Rolling Stone magazines. And I was like, that's the fucking kind of writing I want to do when I get older. Uh, I don't really look to Rolling Stone as anything great these days, but um, back in the day, uh, this is like early 2000s. I, I really loved a lot of the stuff in, in Rolling Stone or like, I can't remember the guitar magazine. It might've just been called Guitar Player or something uh, or, or Vice back in the day or uh, uh, Thrasher magazine. I thought that's like, that was the best stuff. So uh, I definitely, I love that comparison because that's definitely what was in my mind when I started doing these types of longer stories now. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, and just before we jump into Alex Jones, you know, people might make the argument that uh, people today just don't have the attention span to like sit and read, um, yep. you know, a multi-page long article. Um, yep. And that every, you know, especially with the blogosphere and the, you know, the, the advent of blogging and, um, you know, it seems like getting people's attention for 10 seconds is all you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't really make sense to me either because, you know, some of the most popular podcasts are, you know, two or three hours long. So yeah. do you, what do you, what do you think it is? Um, do you think it's a matter of convenience? Whereas like, you know, you can't, you can't do the dishes and read an article, but you can do the dishes and listen to a podcast. Do you right. think that has something to do with it? Maybe more than it is people's lack of attention span. Yeah, I think it's people definitely have the attention span. It's, I think reading is just difficult for people. It's, re- it's difficult for me. I'm not trying to put anyone down, but like I don't typically read as much now as I used to. I listen to a lot, even in terms of audiobooks. And I would like to read more of my stories, but um, I think it's it's just easier for people to listen to something while they're driving or you know doing the dishes, which is what I do. Um, and I definitely get a lot of cri- criticism for writing very long stories, but I'm just not, I'm writing stuff that makes me happy. And hopefully it makes you know a few others happy. And I know there's people out there who, who are down to read. And for me, it's like the important thing about writing these longer stories is that it's not so much attached to a very specific time we have to read it. So like the events might be specific to a very certain time, but I'm hoping that they'll resonate, you know, a week or a month or a year later with whatever topics we get into, um, which, you know, that format allows me to do. I can kind of roam around and talk about detail because I think the um, a lot of the locations I'm in, like, and we'll get into the Alex Jones one in a minute, but like the Alex Jones one is a pretty good example of that, where it's like the location of where I am with Alex and his hometown and where he works is just as important to me as the character of Alex Jones, right? So I get to kind of take my time and write about those things because I, I, I see them to be as a kind of telling as telling to the audience as whatever Alex tells me himself. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and it was, it was, you know, it, it adds color to the, to the article and, it, and it, it gives a little bit more, um, dimension to him. I mean, just in terms of like, you can start to picture 
where he came from and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Have you ever thought about putting out your articles as almost like little mini books on tape as, as a podcast, like where you just read the article? Um, uh, Have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah, a lot lately. And I really want to do that. Uh, Right now it's just like so little time, but I, I really want to do that. Um, with the inverted world stuff. So like for Tim cast, I also do the uh, inverted world series, which is more like paranormal stuff, true crime stuff. And we did, uh, I would narrate each chapter of those books. And, um, the first book was on YouTube for free. Then the second one we put behind the paywall at timcast.com. And that's fun. Like I love reading those chapters and then we had someone illustrate it. And then another person put sound, uh, she did like sound engineer work on it. And, uh, but like these other stories, you know, I'd love to do that, but they're kind of like, they're happening at a much faster rate. Now we could kind of, we took our time creating the uh, audio stuff for inverted world, but yeah, the more, the more I'm writing these different stories, I've had this opportunity to travel so much and go to like crazy things like the GOP debate and talk a lot of shit or Alex Jones or Kanye. I think they'd probably reach more people if people had the opportunity to, to listen to it. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to start doing that soon, actually. That would be awesome. I would certainly look forward to that. Um, and you know, it's it's funny, something that just kind of occurred to me, like, I, I wonder if, you know, if you go back thousands of years, right, obviously, the main way that people communicate or passed on information would be word of mouth, right, would be telling stories. Because um, because writing and reading were extremely primitive. Um, and, you know, the written word was reserved for the just the highest of intellectuals, maybe a few people. Um, yep. And then, you know, but in terms of reaching mass audiences, of course, there's no the technology for printing comes along and suddenly the printed word becomes the only way really you can reach a mass audience is if you use the printing press, right? There's no technology for transmitting audio. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, one at, with the advent of radio and TV and then the Internet and podcasting and all that stuff. Um, it's almost like communication coming full circle. It's like the technology has caught up to the way that humans sort of more naturally like to share and, and, you know, disseminate information. I, do you think that, you know, think, think ahead, like a couple hundred years, maybe even 500 years. Um, do you think that the written word will just be looked at at some point by people in the future as this archaic like like thing that humans did it, it during this period of time it's it's very possible I'm, i can we can go down different avenues with that because there's one avenue where we go down into the dystopia and we all have neural links plugged into our baby's brains and they can just you know <laughs> it's go so creepy siphon through the rolodex in their brain for whatever story they want to read and then it's not even reading it just gets like projected throughout their consciousness and they just know it immediately so then it's like they are absorbing story but I think there's something to the process of reading story and or slowly reading and going back over it. So it could be there where story will never die. It's just a matter of whatever vessel you're using to get the story. Uh, I think I think communication is going to live forever. It's the basis of everything. I'm biased, clearly, as a writer. I think it's like the most important and oldest art form in terms of just straight up storytelling, whether it's just you at a campfire or, or you passing the tablet along or waiting for that book to arrive. Um, but the other other way we could go is, I, I, sometimes I, I wonder if technology will just fail completely 
in terms of whether it destroys itself or humans reject it outright because they're like, this is just taking us away from actual reality. And then we get back to books being more important, uh, you know, and you kind of see things like that where there were, there were people like I'm, I'm 38 and I was in New York for a while before we live in West Virginia now. And you see a lot of kids like reverting back to like old, um, they're taking in old jobs. Like they're becoming like blacksmiths now, and, you know, old school things that seem archaic, but they're like these, there's a, there was, there was a movement for people to be like, I'm going to start a printing press. Uh, I'm going to be a, a blacksmith and stuff like that. And that's not widespread, but it was a thing I was noticing. And maybe that, that will happen with books too, where we kind of, you know, and, and also you could look at vinyl collecting, stuff like that, where it's like this stuff, people will want it. There is a power to it. And with my bias as a writer, I think, you know, I try to put all of these things I write into a book. So like the inverted world stuff we put into books, um, these profiles, I'm going to be working on expanding on a lot of them and putting them into a book. Uh, I think books are forever. It's kind of like a tombstone. That's how I feel about it when I'm done writing uh, a book or putting together collections like this now exists in the real world. And if the internet fails, you know, I won't lose everything and I can pass these around. So I, I'm hoping that that's the future. But, uh, you know, because I, I, I reject the complete marriage of human and, and machine, although I guess Elon would say we're already there and he would say we're cyborgs because we have these phones in our pockets. But uh, people will still be needing stories regardless. Uh, it's just a matter of how they digest them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think cyborg by choice, maybe, right? Because obviously you can still put the phone down if you have the willpower to do it. Like you can yeah. separate from it still. So it's, yeah. so you know, this is a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, you know, yeah, I think, Elon, I think not that Elon's going to listen to what I have to say about oh, it. Oh, no, I'm going to I'm going to send this right <laughs> into his neural link the second it comes out. <laughs> great. Well, you know, you know, you're right about the artistry of it, too. And it's something that I've always appreciated. And I, I love writing myself. Um, and I, I just appreciate the uh, the English language and and the way people can use words, whether it's whether it's spoken or 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 written down and being read. Um, and uh, you know, and, and just for people listening, all this stuff is available on Shane's website, it's, which is uh, it's shanecashman.com, right? Yep, that's it. All right, yeah. So in all of his, at least uh, I saw your most recent articles were up there, and uh, and yeah. the writing really is top notch. So if you enjoy writing, you, you enjoy good writing. Definitely go check out Shane's website. Um, but since we're talking about dystopia, let's get back to Alex Jones, uh, who, you know, I've I've been listening to Alex for a long time, um, you know, Same. and uh, I, I first became aware of Alex when he did the whole invasion of uh, Bohemian Grove, um, mm. that whole thing. And, and when you could still go on like a YouTube rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. where um, before the algorithm really started controlling and suppressing certain things, yeah. um, you could spend hours just <laughs> Alex Jones videos and stuff. And I always oh, found yeah. him super entertaining. Um, you're the first person I've ever spoken to who's actually met him uh, and gotten mm. to talk with him. Uh, you might be the last person. I don't know. Um, uh -huh. So I'm, I'm super curious. You know, what, what I mean, what is he like as just as a guy? Like, what, oh, what's man. he like? So the first time I met him was a few years ago at Tim Pool's and he came by to do a show and I was pretty happy because I, I got into him when he was in the movie Waking Life. Well, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but it's I a, did. Pretty, yes. Yeah. It's a wild movie. And I was like, yeah, Wiley Wiggins, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I was instantly uh, attracted to the way this guy was using language. I was like, this is this guy's as mad as I am. Uh, and I was like, OK, he, he sounded like a crazy poet. I like crazy poets. So when he came to Tim's, I was like, I got to meet him. 
and he was immediately just funny and nice. Uh, I said it in the story, uh, but I'll say it again. He, when I met him, he's sitting down outside. We're all outside, and a hummingbird floats down in front of his face, and he looks it right in the eyes, and he goes, "It's a drone." I'm like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and it's like, it's like he could be exaggerating, but you know, it could also be true. Who knows? Um, so I was like, "That's funny." He was really nice, and then I met him again in Austin this year, I guess, and we kind of hit it off. And he was, I told him about this idea I had for a profile. He was all about it. And he, he was nothing but a gentleman. My wife was with me. I met his wife, nothing but a kind person. He was very, uh, a very good listener. Uh, he can turn it up for sure. He's definitely a bit of a performance artist, but he knows, um, I think his, his knowledge is just crazy. Like he knows so much. I think the problem with him and, and like the widespread audience is that they believe in the caricature of him and they see just a crazy man. I see someone who knows a lot of crazy shit and uh he kind of has a hard time uh giving that sharing that message uh because they'll go on tangents very easily and you kind of have to keep them like in inside one story at a time before you kind of lose him like a dog chasing cars uh just because everything he says will then lead back to another thing to another thing um but yeah he was super kind he was very helpful with the story uh the the funny thing with that story too uh it was like, I'm chasing him around Texas. I go from Austin to Dallas. And when I'm in Dallas, that's close to his hometown. Uh, so I went there and then we go back down to Austin, just driving all over the place. And it was hard to kind of pin him down for like the whole sit down part of the interview. Eventually I get that. And we're sitting in the Infowars studio or like in a conference room outside of the main studio. And uh, it's like nine in the morning and we get maybe 50 minutes into it. And he looks at me and he's just like, uh, can we, can we just do this on the show? So then I, I'm like, okay. So like within 30 minutes, I'm now on Infowars, which is crazy. <laughs> and, uh, I have my questions, but I'm like, this is not going to be interesting for an audience for Infowars to watch me just read questions. So I kind of had to like tailor the questions to the show, but it went well. And he was very responsive. He had great answers. Um, so yeah, I left feeling like, He's, he's a super smart guy. He's a very kind man. Um, and he's super stressed because the weight of the world is, is crushing him and his business. And, uh, it's sad to see, you know, one, one thing that it occurs to me, um, you know, especially as someone who's been listening to him for a while, one, one thing I kind of figured out early on is, is that, you know, he's, he's part journalist, but he's also part entertainer. Like he's, he's, you know, he's, he is being performative when he's on his show. He has to make it somewhat entertaining and interesting. Oh yeah. Um, and it's sort of like it's like people who can't distinguish between uh, Vince McMahon and the like Mr. McMahon character <laughs> that he played on the show, where you know, like they think it's the same person and it's not. Um, right. Why do you think people have such a hard time? Um, you know, whether it's Alex Jones or Vince McMahon or, you know, I'm sure there's hundreds of examples. Um, Trump, you know, yep. Trump, yeah, Trump's an, another great example. I'm sure Trump is very different in a sort of closed door, sit down type situation than he is when he's giving a rally speech um, yeah. where he's kind of almost be, acting like a stand up comedian. I don't know if I'm. Oh, yeah. Picked up, but he's, he's doing like a stand up routine up there. He's hilarious. Um, and uh, so why do people just have such a hard time? Like, is it the media? Is it just people's own inability to sort of think critically? It's, I think a lot of people 
are too busy to get to get into the weeds of all these things. And a lot of what Alex says, if you want to believe it, really challenges your view of reality and our government and everything, right? And then what happens with him even more so is like post Sandy Hook, the media portrays him as a villain. Um, and so they create the caricature of Alex Jones in the news. They make him sound like a complete madman, which is very divorced from what really happened with him in terms of just questioning stuff. And so people who don't have the time to really look into the stuff or nor, nor, you know, nor should they, but I think it's important, but everyone's got busy lives. I get it. But when it's really important stuff and you're getting very emotional about it, maybe you should take a little more time before you start spewing whatever hatred one way or the other. Um, but it became easy for people to hate him because the, the way the media portrayed him and they blanketed that caricature across uh, everywhere. Um, so all they know of Alex is that he, he thinks no kids died or he was, you know, this isn't true, but they would, they would, a lot of people think he sent people after the victim's families and stuff like that. And so they just immediately write him off and they're like, why would I even question this? Why would I even look into it further? He's a monster. Uh, and that, that same thing happens with, with Kanye, with Trump, with anybody, um, in the media or who challenges the media, I should say. So, I think that's the case. And that's just something I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been saying it a lot lately, but it's, this is just my experience and I guess I'm grateful for it. But growing up, I just liked a lot of artists that were always talked about in the news one way that I knew weren't that way in real life, as far as I, as an, as a fan would go from my perception. So, you know, when I get older and we're inheriting this world with all the hyper political bullshit and I'm seeing the way they're portraying Trump, uh, and I didn't, didn't even like Trump at first. And then I find myself defending him because I know the news is lying about him or Alex Jones or whatever. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's just easy for people to believe these caricatures. Um, so I, I, I don't know how you fix that. I think I try to fix it in my own way. I, I guess it's been my theme lately this, of this whole year is like, I've had this crazy opportunity to go out with these people and give my point of view. I'm not saying I'm the authority of the, of the truth. I'm just giving you my like uh, subjective and objective outlook on everything. And I typically try to tell people, this is where I'm being subjective. This is my point of view. And this is objectively true. This is like fact. This is what I've done in my research. And I'm trying to like show the difference between those things because the problem with a lot of the news people get these days is it's portraying itself as objective fact when in fact it's completely subjective and they're throwing in all these little phrases or adjectives that are like little manipulations. And I mean, I would consider brainwashing where it's like people are thinking, oh, this is the authority of the truth. I'm reading it to know what's going on in the world. Meanwhile, they'll put all these different qualifiers in the headlines, like take someone like RFK Jr. When New York Times was writing about him a few months ago, they couldn't just say like, you know, RFK Jr., presidential candidate, whatever. It was like vaccine denier, conspiracy theorist, you know, yada, 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 uh, RFK Jr., and that's the headline. And then people already have a certain attitude towards whatever the story is going to be about, which, you know, will be biased. So the media is a problem and the way they portray it. But then it's also people's, you know, I think a lot of people still, unfortunately, just trust those outlets to give them what's true. You know, one thing you've been talking about or I've seen you posting about on uh, on Twitter recently is uh, all these AI videos that seem mm -hmm. to be coming out. Like there was one recently of uh, of Greta 
Thunberg uh, supposedly talking about uh, you know <laughs> vegan vegan grenades and uh, environmentally safe missiles, and it was hilarious. And you know, a lot of people fell for that. And mm-hmm. you know, I didn't because I mean, I've worked with AI quite a bit, and um, you know, I I could spot it pretty easily. It wasn't the best AI right. fake I've ever seen in my life by any yep. means, but. You know, I mean, as bad as the media is now in terms of stretching the truth, I mean, I can remember when CNN was exposed for using, you know, green screens in the mm-hmm. first Gulf War. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, and that was 30 years ago. So, yep. I mean, it's it's how do you feel about, um, you know, as a journalist, um, where this is headed in terms of the media, you know, having the reins and the power of of artificial intelligence to just create things yeah so i've been saying that we're in a post reality and that is the definition is uh that's the totality of events occurring both digital and physical uh as our simulation is burning and then i have to say this simulation i don't believe is computer generated i believe the simulation is what the media has been doing where they kind of lay on top of objective reality this false reality like what we were just talking about with how they portray trump rfk jr alex jones and they they as you know they become these institutions that a lot of people rely on for being objectively true um they've warped reality so like the green screens you're talking about that's a great example of what's leading up to the post reality uh or or uh was it abc or cbs using images from an Italian hospital during COVID and then saying it was a New York hospital. Yeah, that's right. COVID, I forgot about right? that. You're right. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's so many instances of that, but, but with the post reality stuff is like, I'm saying we are no longer in a reality because the AI stuff is making it. So uh, all these people that are unfortunately gullible who don't have the time to do their due diligence are, are believing this stuff right away. And then, so all these, so all these like realities are fracturing. And so now we're in all of these competing realities and anything you want to be true, you can just go online real quick and then confirm that bias. Right. So if you think, um, you know, if you think, uh, let's say the Israel Palestine stuff is going on and you, there's a news article that says Israel bombed the hospital. You can go find that article. You can go and then you can flip it and say, I believe Hamas bombed the hospital. You can go find that article and whatever you want will be confirmed. And then there's all these people creating deep fakes and AI stuff where I'm, I'm pretty good at knowing when something's fake. I, I, I didn't have a computer growing up. I came really late to internet and all this shit, but like, I don't think you even have to be, uh, uh, an expert at AI and all that stuff to just know when something is like too good to be true. Like the Greta Thunberg stuff is like, that's fucking hilarious, but it's so ridiculous. It's like, come on, you know, but a lot of people did share it. Uh, and this is something I think about a lot in terms of, you know, people, they can't distinguish reality from parody. Um, because it goes back to like, they want that to be true because we hate Greta. Greta, she is an idiot, but, and she, you know, we live in a world where that could be possible, but it, that didn't happen. Right. And then, but that creates a new reality. People use that and then they use that in their arguments going on. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I'm worried about where we're going to be because there's just, you used to be able to debate objective truth. And I do believe in objective truth. I believe in objective reality. Um, but that simulation I'm talking about, which is like this organic thing that the corporate press has stretched over our reality, it makes it so anyone can just find whatever facts they want so that nothing matters. 
And I, I think that's going to breed like a really nihilistic world, which we're, we're probably already in because there's widespread meaninglessness. Um, and, and people, you know, they just they'll just believe anything if it makes them feel good. So going into the 2024 election is going to be interesting. You know, we've seen DeSantis use AI against Trump and then people believe that. Uh, and it's and there's there's platforms or programs out there where you can take someone's voice and recreate them and make them say anything. You know, like I know Joe Rogan's had a problem with that, where people taking his voice and using it for advertisements that he's never done. Um, yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, we're in for it. I, I don't know. I think maybe this is too hopeful, but the music industry is totally fucked and it's got a lot of problems, but they could be one of the leading like institutions against AI because I do see a lot of musicians being like, this is really fucked up because I, I think Post Malone was saying this uh, recently. Uh, he, they can take his voice, run it through some program and make a whole song like tailored specifically to one person that's sung by Post Malone. And it's like, well, what's going to happen with that? Right. And what happens with these songs? And I, the music industry could push back on that. And then on the other hand, it's like, I also hate regulation. I fucking hate the government getting their hands in anything because they're greedy bastards. Um, so it's like all these things are happening. How do we juggle it? And uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think the dystopia is already here. Um, I, I just think a lot of people don't realize it yet. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with you on that one. And, uh, you know, it is pretty scary. Um, you know, I think in, in terms of music, I almost wonder if, you know, live performance will, you know, become more and more important for artists mm. um, for that very reason. Um, for sure. Tough to, tough to AI a live recording. Uh, I mean, you could, you could, but, you know. Um, I'm sure they will. They're, they're, they're AI in wars. So live yeah, music is good point. that hard. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I, I, you know, and like it's, yeah, it's like with, with the whole Israel Palestine thing, it's like to me, it, whatever your view is, you know, it's yeah. sort of regardless of that, um, you know, it's like the, the information, it's like how, how can you believe or trust really anything? Um, it isn't coming from, you know, a firsthand source. And even if it is, you don't know if that person's being totally honest. I heard someone, someone posted something. It might've been Shapiro. I don't really remember, but it was, um, you know, it was, it was evidence of, it was supposed evidence that, you know, Hamas had been the ones who accidentally blew up the hospital and it was an audio recording of two guys talking about it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, so what, what does Mm -hmm. that mean? That's yep. like the easiest thing to, to, to fake. Know. And, you know, yep. and I feel like what you get from a lot of people is, oh, come on. Like, who would, you know, why would they, why would they fake that? And it's like, why wouldn't they fake that? Like, are you exactly. kidding me? Um, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's crazy. So it's like my, my, my viewpoint is like, I care about what's happening in this country because we're totally fucked up. Yeah. And we're hardly taking care of our country. Yes. I have, that's true. Just, and and the, the opinions out in, in, for Gaza and for Israel, it, it's, too complex and it's almost impossible to know how to feel one way or the other because there's just bad people on both sides and that's like not to be too trump about it good people on both sides but like there are there are horrible stories happening on both sides and it's an ancient issue and i am 
a finite person and yeah, i don't right. know all the complexities yeah so I'm not Shane, you don't have this the solution to this problem <laughs> well, that no I'm one's actually, been able to solve <laughs> i'm actually glad you brought me on because i do have all the answers to <laughs> oh this is going to be a huge that. episode for me thanks i'm actually here with i'm here with netanyahu right now um <laughs> <laughs> and i have hamas as well and we're going to get into it no but like yeah bb's giving it all up to uh to create his own uh chocolate milk brand to rival you who he, no, he's speaking asking, of which, speak, he, wait, he's asking me if you could do a pizza art of him and Hamas together hugging. Oh, him. Jesus. Lord, actually, actually, <laughs> no, I can't do that. Netanyahu, he wants me to, he said, he said he wants you to do Muhammad on a pizza. That's fucked up, man. Oh my God. Yeah, that'll, that'll really go over well You're with, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm yeah, going to stick to, I'm going to stick to Andy Kaufman and um, <laughs> things like that. And, you know, it, we were talking about Andy just briefly. Uh, before we started yeah. recording, uh, we both love Andy Kaufman. Yep. Um, man, would he have had a ball with this technology? I, I can't even imagine, like, yeah. if you could just transport right. him into this time, you know, like right. not a, not in a fish out of water kind of way, but in a way where, like, he will, like, could be fully immersed in it. Yep. The things he, he would have uh, done. Yeah, you know, it's he, he, uh, he literally taught me about reality. And it's probably he's probably the reason why I have a better time of understanding at least what's parody and what's not. Yeah, because right. He was he walked that line so well, when um, so many people hated him or, or didn't understand it. But for me, it's like I that is the kind of stuff I love the most. Like his uh, yeah, early Letterman appearances when he would show up and he had like a runny nose and he looked all disheveled, and then he walks into the audience asking for money. Letterman oh, knows brilliant. the deal. But the audience is like, what the fuck? You know, and I'm just like, man, that he was like our first and best troll. Uh, yeah, he, he I agree with that. understood it so well. Um, yeah, it, man, I would be afraid of him today. With, uh, <laughs> and it would be a little scary. You know, it's funny. He, um, I, I was watching. He, uh, he got a star on the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame last month. And there was a whole presentation. Oh, wow. And Mary Lou Henner, uh, which seems overdue, right? I mean, it seems mm -hmm. like that should he should have. And I don't know if it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, they give you the star and then you have to give them some money. I don't really know right. if that's how it works or not. I know yeah. with like the WWE Hall of Fame that that is kind of how it works. Right. Um, but Mary Lou Henner was was one of the people that gave like a little presentation. And she mentioned that for years, years, even like before that Letterman appearance when he was on Taxi, um, yeah. like they'd go out to like a comedy club and they would see Andy like outside panhandling. <laughs> like you know just and not and not as like not for anybody really right. i mean not for anything he was just in like maybe even he just thought it would make her laugh and like yeah. that was all like aired you know that was that's that all he cared made, about yeah that would make his night i um, think he also got off on just being out there and doing it to an unsuspecting audience like it didn't even matter if there were people watching that knew it wasn't real right i think he liked knowing that all these people just believed it um there's this i forget what indian tribe had these they're called hayokas do you know about that no hayokas are like I, I, it's like a southwestern tribe but they had this thing called a hayoka and the hayoka was someone in the tribe who would do everything completely backwards uh in every way possible even riding a horse backwards walking backwards and it was to remind you of what reality was and uh i always think of andy oh, as a really cool yeah it's really cool so that's i i i'm always like into that type of person um, and we have a lot of them still to this day. Um, but he was, you know, 
for me, an early one of those where I'm like, oh, you can live like that, you know? And I don't really give a shit what people think. If it makes me laugh inside, I'm yeah, right. Good. Sort of the classic case of like when everyone's going right, you go left kind of thing. It's like, you know, yep. um, I always like, do, have you ever watched the show Kill Tony? I love Kill Tony. Kill Tony's great. I always want, I always think to myself, like, you know, everyone basically goes on, you know, gets on that show. And for people listening who don't know what Kill Tony is, because we're, we're kind of geeking out here a little bit. <laughs> Kill Tony is a show. It's put on by Tony Hinchcliffe, who's a stand-up comedian, and uh, Brian Redman, um, yep. who's sort of the sound guy slash producer. Um, yep. And basically, these stand-up comedians sign up, and they get to do one minute of comedy, and then there's like an interview portion after, and it's sort of like anything goes, and it's very unpredictable. And there's some there's some regular comedians that come on and perform every week and stuff like that. It's, yep. it's a great show. If you haven't seen it, definitely go check out Kill Tony. It's I try to catch it every single week. But yep. pretty much everyone does pretty much the same thing. Like they get up there, they do a minute of comedy, and then they have the interview. Like to me, it's like if I was doing it, and this is that mentality you're talking about, like I would go up there and like brush my teeth for 60 seconds. Oh, yes. And then just leave and like yes. not even do the interview. Yes. Like, like, you know, like, like do the thing that like literally is the opposite of like, what, like it's the, you know, the George Costanza philosophy. It's all that stuff. And, and I love that. What was it called again? The, the Hayoka? Hayoka. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I love that. That's incredible. You know, I don't know what it is that it attracts me to that so much, but hmm, so I don't, it's like, it's something about making everyone uncomfortable that I really like, <laughs> you know, and like they kill Tony's great at that in terms of the way they roast each other yes. and they go hard on one another. And it's amazing. I love that type of comedy. Um, but then there's Andy who would come out and just eat a, a bowl of French onion soup. <laughs> funny. And that is funny. Like even you just saying that makes me laugh. I don't know. Why. It's not even, I know it is because it, it's because who would ever eat a bowl of French onion soop on stage? I and mean, that's the whole right. thing. Like, it's so absurd. Right. Um, now, you mentioned Andy in your article uh, that you wrote about Kanye. And is it okay to refer to him as Kanye? It, it, I, I mean, it, it's he, yay, might, he Kanye. might sue you. He might sue you. He might sue uh, me? Shit. No, I, I go back and forth. I think he'd win I, that I, lawsuit. I know. <laughs> I, I, still, I go back and forth. I'll say yay or Kanye. He definitely wants yay. Uh, All right. Well, he's, everyone he's knows yay. we're talking about Kanye right now, so we'll say <laughs> yeah. yay going forward. But yeah. um, you know, you got to spend a, a good amount of time with Yay. Also, um, also a very controversial yeah. figure, one of the yeah. most famous people in the world. Um, you're even, uh, if I understood this correctly, writing some lyrics for him. Is that is that true? <laughs> I did spend a few weeks writing lyrics with him. That was crazy. Yeah. That whole experience was crazy. That that was almost a year ago now. It was like in December, started in November, went into December. Um, but yeah, what's funny with him and Andy is I knew he was already a huge fan of Andy Kaufman. Like he fucking loves Andy. So when I'm seeing him, so I'm in the airport to go to LA to be with Ye. And while I'm in the airport, he's on Infowars doing the whole net and Yahoo thing. So... When I'm seeing that, I'm like, oh, he's just doing Andy. <laughs> it's Andy because, like, no one can tell. I mean, it's, and it's a lot more than that. So I knew when I was going to go out to see him, we are going to talk about Andy. And I'm like, you're definitely doing some type of Andy situation. He's like, he's like it's definitely that. He said it was that and Bruce Lee. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> awesome. But uh, he he's constantly been like that. He's a Hayoka, you know, like especially last year, you know, the way he the way he kind of lit the world on fire. But um. Yeah, that was a crazy weekend, man. I 
that that changed my whole life forever just in terms of he's an artist that i've loved for a very long time and uh then getting to meet him at tim's when that whole thing happened you know that show didn't go so well he walked off for those who don't know and then i caught i caught up with him as he walked out of the studio i tried to get him back on the show he wasn't feeling it his mind was already made up uh and this is when fuentes was there nick fuentes and, and miley Yiannopoulos were there too um so i knew me trying to get him back into the studio wasn't going to work. I was like, well, now's the chance to have every conversation I've ever had in my mind with Kanye, with Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And, um, I was, you know, we talked about his opera. We talked about a certain samples. We talked about certain, uh, bars and all this shit. And he was just like, fly to LA. So I flew to LA like a, two days later. And, um, yeah, but it was crazy. Like within that time, the Alex Jones thing happened. So he was already like on some wild shit. And then the Alex Jones thing just made it, way crazier um but it was uh it was such a crazy weekend because it turned it started out as me just profiling him and i was trying to do like i was saying earlier i had a different take on what he was doing than a lot of other people were reporting it on and i was like i this is like i was meant to fucking write this story because i'm seeing it i'm seeing it through the andy kaufman lens i'm seeing it through the lens of, of a fan of kanye's i'm seeing all these different takes um so yeah, the interview started with that. We talked about everything he's going through with the contract stuff, the family stuff, uh, everything he's saying about Jews, you know, everything. We just go into all of that stuff. And I offer my own pushback, talk about my childhood, you know, and it's very cordial. Um, and we had a long first day, it was like maybe six or nine hours in his headquarters, watching him work on all these different things at once. And then I thought that was awesome. And then it got crazier because he was like, well, you're coming to church with me tomorrow. So I'd go to church with him. We do Bible study. And then uh, that turns into me going to his studio. And then I end up writing some lyrics for him. I don't know if these will ever be used because I know he works with a ton of people. But um, yeah, it was funny. It just ended with me and him and his producer uh, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. It was the first time I'd ever seen the Pacific Ocean from his studio. And I'm writing lyrics based on the Bible study I sat with him at that morning. Uh, and I uh, saw him record two songs, uh, I think at that point. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, then he left, he left, like he said, peace out left. And I'm just alone in the studio with his music, writing lyrics. <laughs> and I show myself out a little while later. And then there was like a few weeks after that, where he would just call me a lot at random times, early in the morning, late at night. And I'd be sitting with my, I have two kids and, and my wife and I'd be like, fucking Kanye's calling me. <laughs> so I would get this and then he just like spit some bars and he would have me write lyrics on the spot. And it was like, I kept saying it was like a creative boot camp because as a fan of his, you know, I'd read about all of his recording experiences and I know like in times of like, um, and sorry for people who hate Kanye or don't care. So I'm, I'm nerding out a lot, but like when he recorded Twisted Fantasy, there's this great like scene uh, through that whole process where he's got all these different very different people from different backgrounds writing lyrics so i was like i know i'm being like uh sucked into that orbit now where i'm just some random person now writing random lyrics that may or may not be used but it was as a boot camp it was awesome because i'm typically a very slow writer and uh kind of very not kind of very self-conscious with the writing like i, I take a long time to even publish it because i just like i'm fine-tuning all the time but with him it's like you're doing it right now on speakerphone in my car filled with people and I have to recite it to everybody. And then I'm like, that's just insane to have to read these lyrics. I literally just wrote not only to my favorite 
artist of all time, but then to everyone, whoever's in his car. And then he starts freestyling off that. <laughs> so I was like, that went on for a few weeks and it was uh, totally insane. You know, I want to, I want to ask you about creative process a little bit because, you know, writing is a, is creative, even if you're doing a story, um, about Definitely. a real thing or a real event, whether it's, you know, whether it's profiling Kanye or the time you spent in East Palestine with the train derailment. Mm. Um, I know that you want the writing itself and the prose to be, um, in and of itself, something beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and you mentioned, you know, taking a lot of time and it's, it's, it's a lot of editing. It's a lot of fine tuning, you know, with, with my, like with my art, like I don't have, I think I'm forced to not be a perfectionist because I don't, I only have so much time. Like I can't spend days and days and days like making one pizza because it's like perishable. Right. So, right. um, so I think I'm like creatively speaking, I'm kind of in a unique situation in that regard, but yeah. do you find it, do you find it hard to find that balance? Um, do you have to really force yourself to, say, okay, this is done now. Like, like mm -hmm. how exactly how hard is that for you? Yeah. Every time I sit down to write anything, it's like, I've never done it before. The, the options are infinite of where to start, of what words to use, of what the order of sentences are. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm my stories. I'd like to lead people through a scenario. Cause I'm kind of using, I'm using kind of technical shit that you would use for like a novel, like I'm writing fiction, but I'm, but it's all based in reality. So I'm using, I'm pulling from details and stuff like that to build a scene, but it's all about real stuff. But then also I'm like injecting my own thoughts through it and like imagination. So like, you know, there's definitely some hyperbole and there's some exaggerations that sometimes people pick up on like, no, Gavin, Gavin Newsom wasn't literally three demons stacked on top of each other, but he looks that way to me. So I put that in there and you know, people, some people, you know, it's funny to me because I, that story has like a fact check at the bottom of it. And they're like, if you think there's anything wrong in the story, please, um, I would fucking die. If someone said, I don't really think Gavin Newsom is three demons and I'd like you to prove it to me, honestly, but it's like, I'm weaving all those things throughout it. And, um, there, there, it takes me a while. Like I'm finishing up a story now that I went and reported on two weeks ago. And then it's, there's another part of the, the same story that I reported on back in July. And I'm putting these two things together about the border wall, about my time with Carrie Lake uh, uh, when she announced her run for Senate. So it's like kind of what I was saying earlier about like, this is definitely attached to a very specific time, but I'm talking about like a lot of bigger things too, like the border, uh, like war, like the collapse of our country, infrastructure, uh, you know, election stuff. And so I'm trying to put all that on the page where it's going to be interesting. Cause I don't, I think, I think just the size of the story sometimes turns people off and I get it, but so I'm also, I want to make it fun to read for me at least. And, uh, at some point I know I just got to hand it in, but there does come a time where I'm like, maybe it's like three or four drafts in, I start to feel like, um, like a tuning fork and you feel like that, that vibration is hitting and you're like, okay, it's starting to feel about right. I've, I've, I've rearranged everything. I've cut out a lot of fat, believe it or not, even though these stories are 10,000 words long and uh, cause they are much longer before people get, get to see them. And, uh, it just is like, okay, I feel good with this. It's not, nothing will ever be perfect. I have to accept whatever flaws I see in it and I send it out there. Um, and then I'm very proud of them, 
but like I have a very hard time going back and looking at looking at them. You know, if I'm asked to do a reading, I'll read it. But like even that is tough because I'm just like I, I'll see all the fucking flaws and things I'd like to do differently. But uh, every new story gives me the chance to do better. But then I, I I'm literally starting from scratch every time. It's as many as I've written. It, it doesn't feel like the the experience has helped because uh, I I forget what writer said this. I wish I remember, but he said something like, uh, if people saw how excruciating it was to, for me to write, they would ask why I even do it. <laughs> and I feel that right. way a lot. <laughs> you know, that's, it's funny what you mentioned about every time you start feeling like it's the first time you've ever done it. And you know, when they say getting started is the hardest part, like it's so true because like for me, it's the same thing. Whenever I sit down and I've got like this, you know, pizza in front of me, and there's nothing on it. I have the same thought. Like I'm thinking like, it's like, there's almost like a feeling of dread like even though i love doing it and i love like making the art that i make like there's a a feeling of dread but i know like the second i actually get started and like like, i put that like first piece of cheese on it or whatever yep um now then i'm like in the zone and i'm like okay like i'm moving now like i'm gonna i i I, now i it's like riding the bike it's like getting on the bikes the hardest part it's 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 so weird why that's the case did you end up did you end up listening or watching the uh that interview the conan o'brien interview with jim downey i don't think i finished that yet no i need oh, to man. oh wait maybe i did some of it i, I might have done clips of it yeah did you hear did you get to the part where he's talking about how like painstakingly they used to work on the weekend oh, yes. update jokes yes exactly it's, it's just, it, it, it again very- yeah like again and you just you, you know you watch it as a kid or whatever you know and you, you you'd never think in a million years you're not thinking like there's guys sitting in a room you know, deliberating for hours and hours whether or not to add the word surprisingly exactly. to a joke about oh, the right. guy I masturbating, you know, it's to so uh, good. But it's so alien true. photos. Yes, it's so, Just so true. Okay, so, so people, people know what we're talking about. There, uh, Jim Downey, who was the head writer of SNL for many, 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 many years, um, was on Conan O'Brien's podcast. And he was talking about the writing process and the creative process and how sometimes it's like just tweaking certain things can can change an entire joke or just make the rhythm different. And he was basically talking about this joke they were doing about um, the, the Penthouse magazine had published these alien autopsy videos. And the original joke was something like, you know, guy, you know, uh, picks up the Penthouse magazine and he, um, you know, found uh, the, the pictures were clear, sharp and easy to masturbate to. And he added the word surprisingly so it was it was uh it was that the photos were clear sharp and surprisingly uh okay. easy to masturbate to and, and you see this smile come over his face as he's telling the story because he starts yep. laughing and he's like the idea of like this guy who's like huh you know what huh, I, I didn't think this was gonna work but this is pretty great like it's so amazing it's so amazing yep. to me just how true that is. What he said, like that one word, just changes why that joke is funny. Like exactly. in like a bunch of different ways. I, I learned. I, I think I learned so. I think I learned more from reading or watching comedians than I have from a lot of writers, just because of that exact thing of like one word can change. It could add a whole new dimension to a sentence or rhythm all that stuff. And you're just searching for like that little tweak. Cause that when they add surprisingly, man, that joke explodes to a whole new place. (laughs) When you say it now, it makes me think of it and laugh really hard. Oh, it's so good. Um, Yeah. Do you have any, do you have, who are some of your favorite um, comedians like right now? And 
you know, and I don't just mean stand up. Like I, I'm a huge fan of sketch comedy. I don't really watch SNL anymore now, yeah, but uh, you know, some of my favorite comedians of all time weren't stand ups at all. Um, yep. Do you have any any people you love more than you know anyone oh, yeah. else, or people you um, try to go to see when they come around? Well, I'll say I haven't seen comedy. Well, I saw co- some comedy in Austin. It was just like a bunch of people roasting each other. I saw that at the Comedy Mothership. It was great. Um, but <clears throat> I love Hinchcliffe a lot. And that's someone I only came around to recently. Like I've heard of Kill Tony for a long time, but it was only within the last year where I became a diehard Hinchcliffe fan and Kill Tony fan. Um, someone who is around recently, who has been working forever, but who wrote a book recently, and is someone I always love the most is uh, Stephen Wright. And oh, his, yeah, his I like. So he's like short, absurd sentences are just so beautiful to me. Um, you know, he's kind of like. In terms of brevity, he's like a Hemingway where he'll make yeah. very short, succinct sentences, but then he's also like a Kaufman because he he's walking that line of reality and fiction, which I love, and he's so absurd. Um, man, who do I like? I like a lot of Shane Gillis. I haven't watched his new stand-up yet, but he, he makes me laugh a lot when I see him. Um, Shit, I'm blanking on some people. There's you know so who's many. been I making mean, me laugh a lot recently. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not a newer comedian, but um, I've been I've been sort of watching a lot of Kevin Nealon interviews. Oh, he's great recently, and just like he's he's got this crazy way of like you, even though you know the kind of comedy he does, you still do, just don't see it coming, and it, it catches you by surprise all the time. Um, yep. Like he oh he was ta- he was not he was on Bill Maher's podcast and he was uh he was <laughs> like he's having like a real conversation with him you know what i mean but like yep. then like the jokes keep coming and he's <laughs> like uh he's like uh i think bill maher said something about like do you ever get nervous meeting celebrities and he was like he's like well i, I just saw you know daryl hall leave your <laughs> studio and i you know i got kind of nervous and he was like why because he's a rock star he's like no because he knows john oates <laughs> and i was like oh, son of a bitch did it again like it got me <laughs> so good. yeah he's he's great um i i've been watching a lot of old stuff lately you know whenever i just need like uh i don't like just inspiration i'm constantly looking up norm mcdonald jokes yeah for real he's he's my guy and, and then like speaking of weekend update he's like for me the the pinnacle of, of weekend update man and I, I guess Downey was writing his jokes right yeah, they would do it together. They did it together. Yeah. And then uh, it's great. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and I guess when Norm got fired, um, they had basically basically Norm, I think, saved Jim's job or something like that, but like never told him. Yes, that's um, right. You know, yeah, Norm was always doing stuff like that. Um, because of the OJ Simpson stuff. He was making yeah, OJ Simpson jokes. And they, the guy in charge of SNL at the time was like, uh, or maybe it was just NBC in general. It was NBC, was yeah. Yeah, he was best friends with OJ, and he was like, "You got to stop it," which made Norm <laughs> go even harder on OJ. Yeah, he um, didn't. He didn't really like that. Uh, that uh, careful. That's my lucky stabbing hat joke. I don't think he did <laughs> that joke at all. Oh, so so great, man! It's, it's so good. So good. Um, I love that. Uh, yeah. I gotta send you. I gotta send you because uh, we're we're out of time. But I gotta send you this joke. I just saw someone posted it. it actually, it might have been you actually, but it was uh, an sure. old. Uh, buddy hackett appearance on carson and he tells it it wasn't you all right so i'll send you this joke and just a little inside baseball but it's it's so good i can't wait for you to see it and tell me what you think about it shane thank you so much for joining me this 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 
hour just flew by for me. Yeah, um, seriously. Thank, I really appreciate it. Please let everyone know um, where they can read your stuff um, and where they can follow you and, and all that, all that relevant awesome. information. Yeah. Thanks, man. Well, this was a blast. I love talking about all this stuff with you. Uh, you can find me on all the, all the platforms at Shane Cashman, except for TikTok Cause I got banned from there because of Alex Jones and my video with him. Uh, so, but fuck TikTok. Uh, all my writings at timcast.com and, and also those stories are also at shanecashman.com. So that's all my profiles and reporting I've done in East Palestine and, uh, like the GOP debate. And, uh, I put out a book earlier this year. That's the second volume of the inverted world series. And that's at ghost to the civil war.com. And that's me going down to Georgia for a long time and looking for Confederate gold and, uh, talking to people about UFOs. It sounds incredible. I, I I'm definitely going to be looking into that. Shane, Thank you so much for joining me. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Thank you. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I gotta go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.